Guys, my name is Drew. Um, I am going to spare you going through uh, testimony time tonight. I'd love for you to uh, kind of hear where my life has taken me and why I'm up here. Uh, perhaps at the end, I'll give you a little bit of a picture. Uh, I'm probably not going to use the microphone because it'll just end up on the ground. Uh, I use my hands a lot. Uh, some of you in the front row. I'm not insured, so you could go home with a black eye. That's not my problem. Uh, and if that ends badly, Please don't hesitate to talk to somebody else. Tonight, here's what I want from you tonight. I want you, no matter where you're at on the, on the spectrum of thoughts about God, love for Jesus, learning about Jesus, wherever you are on the spectrum, I, I'm asking for one thing tonight. No matter how mature you might be in your faith or growing or still exploring, everybody's eyes up here for one second. Wherever you are, for the next few minutes, can you allow yourself to be willing, honestly, to trust him just a little bit more? Have an actual confidence in God more than when you walked in here. I'm not telling you that the message is going to get you there. It might not. That moment of worship a few minutes ago might have been more than sufficient. I personally think that it was. Even if it's your time of prayer at the end, if it's walking to the car, I don't care when it happens. It's not about how clever I can do a, a, a poem or, or a, a public speaking moment. That's not what this is. Can you let him move you to where you trust him more than when you got here tonight? That could be with a relationship. That could be with obedience towards something that really does matter. But you've been selfish. Or maybe you've been scared. Can you trust him just a little more? Because if your common answer to coming into moments like this is, I'm going to see whether or not this is going to be good enough to, to propel me, then you've already lost the battle because you're actually moving to where you're grading messages and moments as to whether or not they're good enough for you. I'm never going to be that. There's no cleverness in messaging that can do that. I can, we can do PowerPoint slides. And it's not going to do that. Do you want God to move you to trust him more than when you got here tonight? If you do, then no matter how this evening feels, it is absolutely possible that when you leave this place tonight, you will love Jesus more, and it will be good for your soul more than you could have hoped. Not because of the message or the moment, but because you were willing to let him be who he is for you. Does that make sense? One thing I'm asking for you tonight is can you, could you let yourself be moved closer to him? That's all I want. And that could be anywhere on the spectrum. Some of you could be absolutely off the charts in love with God. And yet still there's something he's inviting you to trust him with. Some of you could be like, I don't know, the church thing's weird. My parents maybe go, I'm not really in, I don't, I don't know that I want that kind of commitment. I don't even know if I trust that. Okay. I'm okay with that. But could you let him move you tonight? And if your answer is no, I'll decide at the end of the night whether or not I'm open to that. I'm just, I'm letting you know. You're wasting a few minutes arguing with something that loves you more than you. You're wasting a few minutes wrestling with someone who's fighting for you, against you. You're wrestling with someone who's trying to give to you things that you're actually withholding yourself from receiving for you. He loves you. Church people are weird. That's never not going to be true. Because at the bottom of it, all people are weird. The good news is, 
You're obviously not a part of that crowd. That should have gotten a little bit of a laugh. It's okay. <laughs> if you don't think you're weird, then, well, tonight will help you. <laughs> you I am working on it. It is not my skill set, Corey. Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 10 tonight. I'm going to read the text. I'm going to pray quickly. Not a pastoral prayer that will take us on into midnight. I'm going to do this uh, with, with a sense of brevity. And then we're going to move on. to. So Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read to you the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you've heard this probably many, many times before, what I've noticed is that there is not one scripture, not one comma in the text that can't cause me to trust him differently more. He uses everything. So no matter how familiar you are with this text, let him talk to you. Not me. Let him talk to you. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And he said, teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, he said, well, you, sh you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. The lawyer desiring to justify himself a little bit, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied to him, saying, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. These robbers stripped him and beat him, and then they ran, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw this man, by on the other side of the road. Likewise, moments later, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. But here's the thing. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took off, I'm sorry, he took out two denarii, which is about a couple days' wages, okay? For us, uh, 100, 200 bucks, something along those lines, roundabout, okay? He gave him a couple of days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper. They said, I need you to take care of this man. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then looks up and he says, which of these Three people, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you, go and do likewise. Let's pray and let's get into the work tonight. Father, over these next few minutes, though I pray they be brief in time, I pray they are long in their work. But for the next few minutes, what you're allowing all of us to discover about ourselves, your son Jesus, and what our lives can look like. Father, I'm just asking, please, that none of us be remembered by name for anything of consequence, but that anyone who knows us will learn to remember your name because of what we changed to them. You can 
can do this, Father. Teach each one of us, wherever we are, to look to you, to trust you, to walk after your Son in full confidence of your love for us. Please give us this tonight, Father. We're asking in Jesus' helpful, holy name. Amen. Okay, so, quickly, I don't have a lot of time that I want to take from you tonight, so I'm just going to give you kind of a very simple layout of this text, okay? I want to walk you through, um, I'm not normally this, this kind of preacher guy, but I think it might be helpful with this text tonight to do a couple of things. Um, I'm going to walk you through the participants of the story. I'm going to give you kind of a, a quick glimpse at each one of the people in the story. It's, it's actually important for your own heart to kind of get a sense for, am I that guy? Am I this person? Who, who, who am I most like? Who was I most like yesterday morning? Who was I most like six months ago? Who do I think I need to be most like? Who am I most least likely to become. Just just grade yourself among the participants of the story. The second idea I want to walk through is, is why. What, what's the purpose? So the participants of the story, the purpose for the story, why did Jesus, why did he answer this, this conversation this way? The guy just wanted to know, hey, how do I have this internal, eternal life? How do I inherit it? And we end up talking about um, a foreign guy, a Samaritan, kind of an enemy of the state, if you will. We end up talking about him and some, some, some guy that gets beat up in a ditch. I don't know about you, but normally we are really careful about storytelling. Jesus seems to be a little more brazen and, and crazy in it. And, and I want to get to the why. So the purpose for the story is really important because you are navigating your whole life between the characters of the story. And you need to know why Jesus wants you to know the outcome. Because it's entirely possible, if not completely likely, that the very thing you're wishing was most changed about you laying this text. And my hope is that if it's laying in the text, it'll begin to lay in your heart. And by laying in your heart, you won't wind up being the person who leaves people laying in the ditch. Does that make sense? Finally tonight, so we're walking through the participants of the story, the purpose of the story. The last one's my favorite, and it's the potential of the story. It's you. The participants are important purpose is important. The potential is off the charts. So I want to walk you through very quickly the participants of the story. How many of you guys know the distinction between the priest in the story and the Levite in the story? You'd be surprised, but it actually kind of matters just a little bit. Not a lot of it, but a little bit. Here's a quick rendition. Jesus names three people. He names a Samaritan, he names a Levite, and he names a priest. Here's the thing you want to know about this. The priest had a really important job to do, and he was kind of an in-charge guy, okay? So imagine on a Sunday morning, some local big shot church pastor is driving to their job and they've got to preach and they've got to, right, they've got to welcome people in and they've got to get their microphone on and all those things, right? They've got duties to fulfill that if they weren't there, people would freak out, okay? Priest. Levite. Super important guy. He's not quite as important as the priest, but still has this obligatory, I've got to get their job life, all right? I've got to be noticed by other people. I've got to be visibly present in the most important part of my day, which is my religious stuff. Okay? I don't miss church ever. I don't miss these religious things ever. All of us have certain convictions that we're like locked tight in. And the Levites would have been to be seen, to be noticed, to be present, to not miss. The third guy is somebody that Jewish people, by normal nature at the time, would have really... Now, how many of you guys have seen um, Harry Potter movies? Raise your hands. 
not the T-Rex hands, raise the hand like Harry Potter. Okay, so, uh, so here's, here's the quote. So in Harry Potter, uh, the, 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 the wizards in the movie really do a disservice to the story a little bit, but in a sense, they kind of do get it right. So Hermione Granger in the movie Harry Potter is what they call a, a, a half-blood. She's, she's a muggle, she, you know, she's got uh, her family or whatever are not wizards or, and such. That's kind of what a Samaritan was. Kind of Jewish history, but not good enough consistent pure life rhythm Jewish history. So they were kind of like spit on Jewish historical, but they were mixed with other races, ethnicities, people groups, okay? So they were, they really were looked down upon by people who thought they were pure. When I was in school, no doubt when you were, you probably knew people who had that kind of behavior. They, they thought an awful lot of themselves, and by doing so, they thought a lot less of you. I grew up on a farm, I, uh, I, I very rural area. I, I remember not having a lot of money. I definitely wore clothes that people would have looked at, and I know I got, I got made fun of a lot. I'm just telling you, being someone in society that is not celebrated much makes you really feel lonely in this world. It makes being alive harder to enjoy. You know that moment, right? Where you look around and people aren't really accepting you and taking you in as being wonderful, loving, and joyful. They judge you and kind of compartmentalize you a little bit. I want you to think of the Samaritan as a consistent outcast that's just not allowed to belong. Now, the story takes place on this road to Jericho, and I want to, I want to, before I get into the details of that story, I need to ask you a question. Everybody look up at me for a second. In your life, think about your job for right now. Just think about your job. What do you do? It could be school full-time. It could be you've got a job and school. It could be just a job. Whatever it is, what do you fill your time with? Can I ask you an honest question? Are you doing it? Only you can answer this, and only you can answer it honestly. Are you doing it motivated by fear of how your future is going to turn out, or are you doing it out of love? What's your motivator? Everybody look up at me for a second. This is a really important thing, and you may not be able to answer it right away. You may have to do a little soul searching to kind of get to the bottom of it. What motivates you to pursue your career? What motivates you to pursue where you're headed in life? Is it, I have a picture of the kind of life, and I love it, or is it a, I have a picture, and I'm afraid that if I don't get there, I'm never going to be happy? I'm afraid that if I never get this worked out, I'm not going to be who I want to be. Does everybody have that? You can't, I'm not going to ask you to poll answer this right now. I just need you to reflect for a split second what drives you toward those outcomes. Let me flip the script a second. How about your relationships, romantic or otherwise? What motivates you? Do you dress, fill your schedule with things that are motivated by fear of not fitting in? not being accepted, not being made much, are you afraid of how people would treat you so you behave accordingly? Or do you do what you do because it's what you love to do and you're, and you're independent of fear from it? The God of the Bible, Jesus wants you to be motivated by one thing, love. He wants you to trust him with the outcomes and he wants you to live a life filled with love, motivated by it. Compassion is the word that jumps out of this text, that, that the Samaritan had compassion on this poor person who was de decimated. Jesus looks into our eyes, wherever we are in this room tonight, and he says, I don't want you to be afraid of me. I don't want you to be afraid of your future. I don't want you to be afraid of who you're becoming. I don't want you to be afraid of your past. I want you to let fear die on the cross where I put it, and I want you to be motivated by love. I want you to trust me. 
Because if you can live a life motivated by love, then you have no clue what God can and will do through you. But if you're motivated by fear, you are going to keep God at arm's distance from working in you the very things he's fighting for you to discover about him and the people you care The purpose for this text is that somebody walks up to him and says, hey, I'm a really smart person and I know all the rules. In, in Luke chapter 18 and 19, we, we meet two different people, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. And the rich young ruler is, is a gentleman who comes to Jesus and asks a very similar question. Hey, how do I go to heaven? Like, teacher, what do I have to do? And, and Jesus says, well, you, you know the commandments. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I've kept all those since I was a kid. I'm like super awesome moral guy. And he goes, all right, well, sell everything you have to the poor. And give, and give it to the poor. And, and then I want you to, to follow me. And the guy walks away sad. Why? He kept all the commands. He kept all the rules, right? No. No, he missed the motivation behind. Why? God didn't create you to live a life of fear. And what the priest and the Levite are motivated by is fear. The reason they couldn't stop and care for the person on the side of the road is because they were afraid because of their status and their reputation among people, they were the kind of people that could not be seen away from meeting their duties, their religious requirements. The priest's reputation, the priest's motivation was not compassion. The reason we know this is because Jesus said the Samaritans what? Jesus tells us that the detail of compassion in your life is how fast you're going to drop what you're doing to meet the need and care for someone else. fast? How heavy in your hands, how heavy are the things that you're holding on to? Are they so heavy that you can drop them at the drop of a hat, no questions asked? Are you holding on to them with all of your strength? Fear is going to ruin all the good things that can come to you. Some of you are, whether or not you know this, you are so motivated by fear that you are always in control of everything. I'm, I'm very subtly this way. In the sense that um, I'm very, very careful with my calendar. I've, I've blown Corey off many times. I'm very Seth even more. I've blown off, blown people off because I'm very afraid of people taking more time. Not Seth, not Corey, but other people. And they're going to take, I've got to keep free because I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to control because I'm afraid. You guys see that? There are small little nuanced things in your day that you are trying to control. And that's an indicator that you're afraid of something. This story is more about the Samaritan and the lawyer than it is about the guy in the ditch. And a lot of times we want to preach this message or read this text and go, who do we need to go be a neighbor to? And I want to stop right there and say that's not Jesus' goal here. Jesus doesn't worry about who you're going to go care for. There's 7.2 billion opportunities around you for that. The question is, are you going to be willing to be whatever is needed for any of those 7.2 billion at any time, at any cost, totally free to be compassionate and have mercy on Are you free? Jesus is looking at the lawyer saying, I don't know that you're free. I think you're the type of person that wants to know the rule so that you can just obey the rule. And I'm not looking for rule followers. I'm looking for people whose hearts can't do anything but follow whatever rule love causes them to do. It's why in the Old Testament, the woman named Rahab was a prostitute. And she lied to all of her fellow people. And we know, we've heard the Ten Commandments, right? We know that you're not supposed to lie. That's a sin, right? And yet in Hebrews chapter 11, in the New Testament, the 
the writer walks through a whole bunch of really important people throughout the history of God's hope for people. He lists off people like Abraham, someone of faith. And he also lists Rahab. And I always puzzled myself, why is, why is it okay for Rahab to have lied? And God looks at that as a good thing. He's not looking at the lie as a good thing. In the story, Rahab had a moment where she was totally and completely convinced that God was exactly who he said he was, and he was going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. She believed God totally and completely, and she did whatever made sense in light of that in the moment. God is not looking for you to have a perfect ideal, a growing one, yes, but not a perfect in the moment. He's wanting you to trust him, believe him. And if he says the person next to you is suffering and you have the exact thing by putting an arm around them and loving them or going to their home and knocking on their door and comforting them, giving to them, sacrificing, doing whatever is needed to bless them in some way to remind them of their worth, then he is letting you know he will care for you at whatever cost is required. But he is asking you, have mercy on the person he's put in front of you. The participants in this text are important because all of us are any of these Sometimes I'm a priest. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I look at my calendar and I realize, you know what? I've got a lot of big stuff to do today. And I immediately stop answering texts and I immediately stop engaging because I'm, I cannot miss out on these other things I've got to do. Sometimes I'm a Levite. I need to be in the room with, around, or near the important people who, who I'm supposed to support or serve or be whatever because I need to be seen with them or thought of them or some sort of uh, ideal along those lines. And then the Samaritan is the person who just doesn't seem to care. The Samaritan seems to be this really free person who walks up and sees this really difficult situation, gives up money, sacrifices whatever is needed, puts him up on his own animal, which, by the way, there's a whole lot of stuff in the story that's crazy. That's one of the details that's just nuts. Because these were enemy people. It'd be like taking the person that stole from you or is hated in your neighborhood and giving them the keys to your car. You just wouldn't do those kinds of things in this culture, in this context. The Samaritan doesn't care about anything but caring for the person he's with. That brings me to the potential of the story. It's very easy to read this story and begin to think about, I need to go out and do and then fill in the blank with whatever that is. I want to read you something. 51 years and eight days ago today, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was experiencing his last day on earth. And the next day, he would be killed. April 3rd, 1968. He gave a speech that night. And I want to read to you a short little excerpt of that speech. It's very brief. It's only 30 seconds or so. And I want to read to you because the last question that you're going to hear Dr. Martin Luther King mentioned in this little speech he gave is the very thing God might be trying to move you from tonight. So I'm going to have your attention. I want to read this text to you. In his speech, I've been to the mountaintop the day before his death. Martin Luther King described the road to Jericho where this man fell among robbers like this. As soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. In the days of Jesus, it became known as the bloody pass. 
And you know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was even faking and he was acting like he had been robbed in order to hurt or seize them, lure them over there for quick and easy seizure. So the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was probably, you know what, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? Throughout the entire New Testament, Jesus is not interested in getting you to attend gatherings, although it's a phenomenal and necessary byproduct. It's not his desired primary outcome. Jesus wants one thing. When it says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, when those two things are brought to bear, do you know what's interesting about it? He's not even remotely concerned about how well you're going to love yourself. Because he knows that's your automatic driver in every outcome. Jesus doesn't have to come to you and say, hey, don't, don't forget to love yourself. Because even when you're really sad and even when you're struggling, whether or not you realize it or not, your self-centeredness is alive and well. And all of us are plagued with it and varying symptoms. But all of us struggle deeply to trust God that if I sacrifice myself, give to these people, do for these people, care for them in any way, that you're still going to come through for me. Because what we're doing is we're still asking the question, hey, God, what about me? And when Jesus comes squarely in front of all of us tonight is to ask us this one question. I promise if you will let go of your life, I will save it. But if you hold on to your life, there is no way it can be saved. Did you understand that? Jesus promises that if you will love the people you're with, no matter how wicked and sin-filled and arrogant and prideful I am, they are, not me, obviously. Jesus was very clear. This isn't a competition to hurry up and clean up your act. He won that battle. And he gave you the exact same status he has with it if you'll trust him. That status earns you a couple things. It earns you a, hey, when you die, you will come out of the grave reality. I realize that's tricky. Get over it. It's still coming. But the other thing it earns you is the freedom to not fight for your life here. Everybody look up at me for a second. I don't know if I'm ever going to see all of you again. I hope that I get to. Some of you. Seth, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that I can do tonight to compel you with this. So I'm just going to ask you. Can you trust Jesus Christ? Jesus of Nazareth, the God of the Bible, can you trust him? Look at look throughout the entire New Testament text. Can read anything, ask questions, go to people, find out answers, but look, can you trust him enough to stop worrying about your life? Your jobs might change. You might need to leave cities. You might have to give up things. You might become diagnosed with things. Can you trust him enough to know that he will never leave you or forsake you, and that for billions and billions and billions of years, you're going to be fun. You're going to be more than fun. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it's a, it's a text in the Old Testament, it brings to like this, this simple idea that somehow God has placed eternity deep within us. It's this inside of us kind of thing. 
okay? A lot of people uh, go down pretty deep rabbit trails on how to interpret that, but I'm gonna go simple tonight. I think you know dying is not the best outcome we should be running for. <laughs> I think you know that death seems abnormal to how, like when I see right now, this time of year, what the color green does to my emotions. When I see, how many of you guys have ever washed your face with cold water in the morning? Four of you, the rest of you are dirty. No, I'm <laughs> have you ever noticed like when you splash water on your face, that fast, super fast feeling that just like, <clears throat> just kind of wakens you up? Yes, am I yes. the only one? Yes. Isn't that weird? Isn't that kind of amazing? How many of you guys have ever jumped into a pool and you misjudged the temperature? <laughs> and your whole body goes through that and to wait. And then and what happens about six seconds later, God by his grace and mercy alone lets you survive that, right? Um, when, when, when the first millisecond you're in the water, you're like, I'm dead. I'm going to shoot this. This is too cold, right? All I know is that there are certain experiences in this life. This creation is amazing. When she sang earlier about all creations, man. Have you ever been alone on a sunrise? Some of you driving a car and you stop and you get out the Instagram. Why? Because that's got to get captured. <laughs> and then you're like, i got to buy a new phone. The resolution's not even close to good enough. And then, oh, no. And then you got to get another job. Sunrises paralyzes. Why? Because there's something eternal about the reality of what this place looks like. It doesn't make sense that we should only get to enjoy it for a moment and then lose it. It seems like we're created to have complete fulfillment in this. Do you agree? Do you agree that when you see a sunrise or even a sunset in a magical moment and you're with other people? Or even in a thunderstorm? I remember hearing a guy, he was a pastor out in California, and he was, he'd never been to the Midwest. Never. And he said the first night he was in the Midwest, he was speaking at a conference, and he said he freaked out because there was a thunderstorm coming through, and he'd never heard what that actually sounds like. He's familiar with earthquakes, so when the building starts shaking, he's like, it's an earthquake. But it, and then it stops, and then there's the violent flash of light again, and another one, and he's just like, I don't know what this is. And he literally crawled under his bed. Not joking. Grown man crawled under his bed because he didn't know what to do with the power of the moment. First message he preaches when he gets back to California is none of us have a clue of the power of God. But creation all day long is teaching us it is to be trusted. God didn't make you for the story to end. If that's true, and you have an eternity with him that's going to be okay, then all he wants you to do is let go of your life. He asked the question at the end, who is it that is a neighbor? The one who had mercy. You go and do likewise. He doesn't say, do this and you'll go to heaven. He says, if you live your life not looking at your life, if you live your life fighting for the person next to you, if you live your life fighting for someone other than you, I will care for you. Putting your trust in Jesus is about letting your heart, your fear, and your anxiety, and your worries go and fall deeply and madly in love with the potential of the person you're next to. There are people in your job, in your future, in your life right now that you do not like. Hopefully they're not in the room. That would make this awkward. (laughs) 
night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples in the upper room, the city of Jerusalem. He met with them. But early on in the evening, he did something very interesting. Jesus took a moment to get down on his knees with a basin and a towel filled with water in the basin. He washed his uh, disciples' feet. In the time, just so you know, that's a, a very much needed reality because in sandals and in warm environments, lots of donkeys and camels and such, and no automotion. Really, uh, the simple reality is they had a lot of crap on their feet. <laughs> Remember that sunset picture that I just had you think of a second ago? Remember that? The very being that created that for you, that moment, that very being, thought it was totally okay and even necessary as an example to get down in front of people whose feet and in between their toes was crusted and clung together with the very thing that none of us could stand to smell in this moment now. Picture this. The creator that gave you that image, that moment you captured that sunset, that sunrise, that arrested your attention, perhaps even for the whole day. That creator knelt down in front of hillbilly people that still didn't wholly trust him and wash their feet. Why did he do that? It wasn't to fix the smell in the room, although that's a helpful byproduct. <laughs> what Jesus taught us in the moment, can I have everybody's eyes one last time? The creator of the universe, the very thing that has put breath in your lungs right now, had no problem with all the status glory that that position deserves. He said, it is no problem for me at all to get down underneath you and wash the worst, nastiest part of you and clean you. What then do you and I need to hold on to? If he didn't hold on to that for those guys, what do you and I need to hold on to that we can't care for someone? Even if it comes down to wiping, cleaning, what do we have to hold on? What reputation, what what do we need out of this life that we have to fight for, that we can't love people the way that he did in that moment? Especially when he said, I promise you will be with me. I'm preparing rooms for you guys. This is going to be amazing later, but for now I need you to follow me. Follow my example. Do as I did. Live as I taught. Trust me and know that I will be with you to the very end of the age. Everybody look at me. There's nothing in this life you need to fight for except the love and compassion needed by the person next to you, no matter where you are until you take your last breath. That is your supreme faithfulness. Die for them. Love them. Care for them. And know that the creator of the universe, the one that made that sunset for you, will come through for you in ways you cannot proclaim until you know it. He loves you and has given you powers and gifts and abilities, moments waiting for you. You are the exact light, the exact imprint of his passion and love for the person you're with. You are the exact answer they need in that moment. So I leave with this. There are two questions tonight that I want you to sit in. And I don't know what makes sense in this moment for you guys as far as coming to a place where you can talk about this for a few minutes. But before we get to that, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you out. Right now, I just I want you to, to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. I'm going to walk you through the end of this message.
Some of you want to learn the Bible more so that you can defend it better. Some of you want to learn Bible verses and or Bible stories and or be taught so that you can win arguments with other people better. Some of you might want to be seen in better churches or in better environments or move to positions of leadership so that you can have better influence to lead other people. Those things are okay. They're okay. But the apologetic, the apologetic that God actually empowers you to win people with most is your self-sacrificing love for them and your obedience to Him. Your love for your enemies and for the people in your life, your love is your apologetic. What I want you to think about for just a second. Who do you know in the coming days, weeks, you need to go be a neighbor to? Who is, it? Who is the person you need to go be a neighbor to? There are two questions that are going to be up on the screen here in a minute. The first question is very, very important. That first question, Corey, how do I bring that question up? Try to keep your heads down for just another second. There are parts of you that are motivated in life, depending on the circumstance, there are parts of you that will actually wind up being defined very much like the priest in the story. ask God to forgive you for those moments. Just very quickly. Ask Him to, just to forgive them. There are moments where you have withheld blessing someone. You've withheld giving to them, withheld doing something kind for them because in your assessment, they were unworthy in some way. Maybe it's something they did to you, something they did to someone else. Maybe it was just their attitude. But in the moment, you withheld caring for them in a clear moment of need of some sort because you felt compelled to hold them accountable for their past actions.
Some of you have been mistreated really badly in your life. You've been made fun of. You've been rejected in various capacities. And you're still hurt. I promise you. I promise you. It is very hard to get over those things, but it is absolutely possible. Love, perfect love, will cast out your fears. What has to change in you in order for you to be the Samaritan that story? Only you know what it is. Maybe you're still angry at some people. Maybe you're convinced you don't have the resources. Maybe maybe you're just scared of people in general. Maybe you just don't know what to believe. Maybe you're not sure. Wherever it is, what has to change? I'm not asking you to make the change tonight. No, I just need you to see it. I just need you to see what's in your way. Because then you, along with your friends, can begin to fight in prayer and friendship to eliminate those things out of your life with love. What has to change? And the last question is, what are you going to let remind you? I'm sorry, who are you going to let remind you of this starting tonight? There are people in your life who have a cell phone. It's true. I'm not even making that up. There are people in your life who have a cell phone. What if you used it tonight to set a calendar reminder and a text message to them saying, in 24 hours, I need you to ask me this question. I'll explain why tomorrow. But in 24 hours, you promise me you're going to set a reminder on your phone. Because I just sent you one. It's in your email. You better open it. I want you to text me and remind me of this question. You're going to let yourself, you're going to let yourself allow yourself to be grown. So gather in your groups, work through these three questions. I'm going to be up here. If you want to stop and raise your hand and be like, hey, I have a problem with what you said tonight, then I'm going to defer to court. <laughs> But if you want to flatter me or shower me with encouragement, then I'll, I'll receive it. I want to leave it open for you to have some questions if you want to have that time. Okay? So I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to break into groups. Heavenly Father, the next few minutes, some of us, some of us are going to shrink back from being honest because right now we're not ready to open up and say the things that we're pretty sure we probably need to own. But Father, by your power, what if tonight we just said no to our fear? And we let someone, even a stranger, know what we're battling. Will you give us that comfort? You are, you are the God of all comfort. You can do those things. Would you do that for those in this room that are scared tonight? Father, for some of us in this room, we already know this story. We're already really active at doing, giving, being. But in reality, we are still trying to figure out how this should help us grow in our life. We still feel like we're missing something. Father, show us where we're still concentrating on ourselves too much. And we're not free to just be who you've called us to be for the people we're with because of what your son has done for us. Finally, tonight, there's some of us in this room who are still very much indifferent to you and even moving forward with this. Father, will you show those people, each one of us, deeper than maybe ever before, will you show us how much we have actually been given by the death of your son? that there's nothing we're holding on to here that will ever match what that gives us. Holy Spirit, this is your room. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Bye, right, guys. I love you.